Hello friends, how's it going? My name's Matt Bart, you listen to episode 150B of the Looking Sideways Action Sports Podcast. It's the show where I try and uncover the most fascinating stories in action sports and other related endeavours. Thank you for tuning in to this episode. Hope you enjoy it. If you've already listened to episode 150A with Ed Lee, then yeah, hope you like that one. If you've not and you've come straight here to my episode with my close pal and creative right-hand man, the lesser spotted Owen Tozer, then welcome. Yep, I've reached episode 150, in case you hadn't noticed. And I do know that that isn't how numbers work, 150A, 150B, but that's what I'm doing. As I mentioned in Housekeeping Corner at the end of episode 149 with Shelby, I'm a big fan of marking milestones. And as I did with episode 100, and in what I can tell is going to be a new Looking Sideways tradition, I'm marking this one by releasing two episodes at the same time. I'm referring to them both as episode 150. What do you make of that then, eh? And rather than try and mark this auspicious, well, for me, milestone by chasing down a couple of global superstars like I did for episode 100, I've decided to do something a bit more in keeping with the ethos of looking sideways for this one and speak to two of my closest friends and two people who've been of integral importance to the Looking Sideways universe since it launched. As mentioned, the first instalment was with Ed Lee. The second instalment, which is what you listen to now, is with Owen Tozer. Think of them as companion pieces to be listened to in tandem, ideally one after the other, or you can dip in however you like in time-honoured podcast listener tradition. So, Owen, long-term listeners are going to know who Owen is. He's one of my oldest and closest mates who's been a key part of this thing for long before, since, I should say, long before Looking Sideways became a podcast. As I discussed at length with John Bassett in episode 144, Looking Sideways, the concept, has been around for 10 years now. And Owen was one of the people with John and me involved in kind of getting that off the ground he created this is Owen he created the branding and brand identity for that first iteration and then when it evolved into a podcast with me at the helm he graciously let me use that branding for this and has been along for the ride as photographer on individual episodes over zoom during lockdown and also on our trips to Ireland California and Portland and now as my co-author on the very first Looking Sideways book, which should be available for pre-launch, pre-purchase even, at around the same time as this episode is released. Exciting stuff, eh? Not that that covers the full extent of Owen's omnivorous creative talent and scope. As I've said many, many times, and I'll never get tired of saying, Owen is the real deal creatively. He's a supremely talented photographer, art director, designer, filmmaker, artist, even musician, which he'd never admit to, but he is. Sure, like any creative, he sometimes doesn't know when to stop arguing with the producer, but that's all right. His standards are higher than everybody else's, and it's always driven by a creative purity, which is something that we discussed. As I've said before, also at length, if he was any good at self-promotion, he'd surely have taken over the world by now bit of a wind up that to be honest especially when you see how many inferior talents are absolutely stealing a living around these parts and that kind of conflict between creative and commerce is something else we discussed during our conversation anyway I am very very fortunate 
Owens decided to lend his considerable talents to looking sideways over the years. And if you've not properly checked out his work, then I implore you to do so. His Instagram feed at Owen Maydot would be a great place to start. I've been asking him to come on air for years. He's always turned me down. People do. That's fine. I wasn't offended. Um, but now that we finally put this book to bed, and because we're on episode 150, which I didn't plan, but just all kind of happened at the same time, he finally agreed, but on one condition, which was that we tried to do it as in-person as possible. Not particularly easy, given the fact that we're in the middle of a global pandemic and still observing pretty strict social distancing rules at this time in the UK. So we came up with a workaround. We met in our cars at the ship pipes near me in Brighton, one sunny, icy afternoon at the beginning of March 2021. And what we did was we rigged up a kind of portable, socially distanced drive through podcast studio using mics. Basically, he parked his car next to mine and that's what we did. So we could do the chat in person, but also keep to the rules and that, which is important. I think you'll agree. It's the first time we'd seen each other since January 2020 in Niseko which is wild, really, especially seeing as we've spoken every day while working on Looking Sideways, Volume 1. Anyway, I love this chat with one of my dearest friends, and I hope you do too. I'll be back at the end for an episode 150 Housekeeping Corner. But in the meantime, here's me and Owen Tozer, made up. Enjoy. We are going. Wow. Let's uh, see where your mic is. About here? How's that? Well, get, tell me where it's comfortable. There's comfortable. Okay, I'll turn it up is a that bit. that good? Yeah. Well, we, here we are, Owen. Hello. It's happening. Matthew. We finally <laughs> made it. So I'm going to set the scene. So um, obviously we're recording this for the 150th episode and social distancing measures are still in place. So what we've done is we've met at the ship pipes in Brighton in our cars. The legendary ship pipes. And we are currently parked next to each other with Mike Leeds leading out of my car to Owen's car. So we are observing social distancing regulations while still being able to tick the box of doing the podcast face to face, which was... Um, good a little selfie, Matt. Hold it there. <laughs> which was your stipulation if you were finally going to agree to come on the show wasn't it you were like yeah did you remember did you remember the puppies and the the blue m&ms by the way (laughs) yeah yeah the mariah Ryder. yeah (laughs) because because basically i've been i've been asking owen to come on the podcast probably for three years now and you know you've knocked me back every time and you finally agreed to do it, but only if we agreed to do it in person. So here we are. Yeah, well, I haven't actually seen your face for over a year since we lived in Japan. I know, which is and, wild, uh, isn't it? You know, I wanted to, I wanted an, an excuse. This is, this is work after all. Yeah. We're taking the right precautions. And uh, I wanted the excuse to come and see you, lay eyes on you. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, nice. ma- it's been, it has been over a year, hasn't it? It has. The well, last time I saw you was up a mountain in Japan, I think. Yeah, right, because we were in Tokyo first, weren't we? And then, obviously, we went up to Niseko, and you... Yeah, you left a few days I, before us, didn't you? Did you go up Yote that time? No, I didn't. No, I left the day before they, they hiked Yote, and I was devastated not to have been able to done that, really. Well, I, I, um, I decided not to do it in a, in a kind of... Basically, like, my, my family, my sister and my niece and nephew and my brother-in-law were leaving the same day. Yeah. And I had 
the choice between I actually chatted about this on John's pod. I had the choice between not seeing them and doing Yote or yeah. not doing Yote and, they and live in seeing Australia, them. Don't they? So, yeah. so I decided to not do Yote and to see them instead in like an un- uncharacteristically grown up bit of decision making, which at the time obviously then so I went and hung out with them and uh went and had a nice lunch and everything and then they left and then when everyone got down that night they were all like that's like the best run of my life full like, FOMO yeah in, uh, I, I had pretty severe FOMO I must say and they were all and they all got super pissed that night and basically spent the whole night laughing at me and showing me pictures oh um, my god yeah I saw all Hamish had some amazing pictures from that and and um yeah I definitely had the FOMO because I basically had the, the slog back to the UK on my own yeah um whilst knowing that was going on not that i mean i had the most amazing trip so not, no complaints but um yeah but then obviously in hindsight the fact that um that was the last time i saw my family and i've got no idea when i'm going to see him again yeah i mean that was was um, a good decision back when when life was normal yeah i think it was a good decision it was a good decision it, i think it was uh i think you know I'm, I'm happy with my choice yeah I'm, I'm i'm with you on that yeah i think it i think it was yeah but yeah so we haven't seen each other since then which is wild especially because we speak i would say most days via text or um call and especially because we've been doing a book like yeah. this whole time because you did the first sort of version of the book well the timeline of the book actually was about a year ago i sort of got as a sponsor if you remember like because visit california we're going to pay for it yeah and that was like the beginning of march last year because right. i remember i remember meeting my friend emma who um had basically organized one of the people that had organized the trip to california that we did and she was like yeah yeah we, we're going to help you out with the book and i went and met her in london that was the last time i've been in london actually i think i was there we went to some weird garden party thing no that was the year before oh. no i met her at waterloo okay that was when we were that was before we went to to california that was three years ago right um because that was when we kind of went and met everyone but so i went and met emma at waterloo and she because they were doing like this event thing there and she was like yeah yeah great we're gonna pay you know we're gonna help you out so it was like wicked we're gonna do the book and then like two weeks later it all kicked in and then they you know fair enough like they canned all their marketing budgets yeah so she was like well we can't help you now so we were a bit like oh what are we gonna do about this book then and you just sort of did a version of it you just kind I of think did I it just off got my back, head into you? it by then and i was a bit you know when you kind of when an idea sets in and you just kind of have to have a go at it really i think yeah because because uh, it's funny because because we finished the book actually yesterday didn't yeah, we I sent it to print yesterday we yeah. actually finished it yesterday and we've kind of you know it's not like we've like worked on it like flat out but we've had like probably like three spurts of industry on it where we've kind of like there was the first thing where you kind of did that and then we kind of planned it and then in the summer we did a load more work on it and then in the autumn we did a load more work on it where we were like okay um but what's been really interesting i think about the whole process is doing it this way is is just not the way that you normally do it is it because normally you kind of sit down and you kind of you'll plan it yeah but well, bec- but because you kind of just banged this version out and then we were like all oh, right because because i because i didn't really know what how it was going to be and then when you kind of put that initial draft together that was when i kind of almost we you know we almost like carved a book out of that like it which yeah. which has been a really weird way of doing it 
It has, yeah. It's been a, definitely a, a slightly long way around, or very long way around. You're being polite about the <laughs> how, number of times you've had to redesign it, I think. Well, the original design was portrait, wasn't it? Because it was all about the portraits of the people, and it was all in black and white. Uh, and then, it was actually Mariko who said to me, you should just put more, put some colour pictures in. And so I went back and regraded everything in colour, and... Um, and I decided to bet to make it portrait because uh, sorry landscape format because so many of the pictures then were that way around it seemed crazy to sort of split them across pages or have them smaller um, so yeah it's, it's definitely had a few iterations but I think what I'm really pleased about with it is you, know, you you were basically were slightly you know in the way you do with me often push pushing me to, to get it get something get my photography out there more and um, being really supportive of that but I was kind of quite convinced that it needed to be more than that and uh, so I, I guess I pushed back a little with you and and it's become this thing now with all this these great contributors and, and great writing and all of these um, kind of highlights from the different conversations that you had and I think it's just so much better now that it's not just a photography book actually. Yeah well that's why that's why I found the whole thing so interesting because I've been lucky enough to write a few books over the years and usually when you do that you you start with a clear idea and then you try and build towards that idea but in this case we didn't actually have an idea did we it was like no, it, it, was it just never... it just evolved into this thing and and yeah it was really long-winded and at times at different points for both of us as these things do got a bit frustrating with the way it was going and stuff but like it it's been really great almost like seeing it come to life through the process that's what I found anyway did you I, definitely you... I've had my ups and downs with it um but I, I, yesterday for me was a, a wonderful feeling. I, I, didn't, I didn't actually realise how much it was annoying me that we hadn't finished it yet, actually. And I think sending it to print yesterday, and I, I'm definitely a, a, someone that will tinker forever with something if I don't have a deadline. And um, just sort of saying to you on Thursday, like, I just want to send this to print before we speak and, um, and setting that deadline already you know, I woke up this morning thinking oh maybe I should have put the portrait of Grayson in there and you know and, oh, could I replace that image with this image and, but no no it's done and it's everything it's imperfect but it's really good I'm really proud of it great um, I, that's I high really praise like for it. you yeah <laughs> it's been it's probably what I've spent the most, the most time on out of anything for that's a long the most time. praiseworthy thing I've ever heard you say I think about any of your own work <laughs> you're actually proud of it so where does it where does it sit on the done is better than perfect scale i'd say that it was it was right there in, in the middle because a lot of it's out of my control obviously with the words and the i mean actually it's it's been a real test that this book if you look at it in, in many ways we didn't really plan time for taking pictures to make a book in the sense of the all the landscape stuff and the incidental stuff which is a, bulk, a big bulk of it now so it it's, a, it's, it's almost an accidental book isn't it and uh, i think it's quite unique for that reason it doesn't if we'd set out to make a book, I think it would have been very different. I think so too. But also I think one of the interesting things about the whole trip as well was you were definitely frustrated by a lot of the limitations that, that were that, that the itinerary of the trip placed upon us. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it was definitely put... Because, you, you know, it was quite stressful for you, that trip, basically, because... Well, it's quite stressful for, for both of us in, in, in a work way. Because, you know, we basically did a three-week trip and that part of it was 10 days, I think. And we packed, you know, to get the most out of it, I kind of packed the itinerary. Yeah. So I presented this itinerary to you and you were a bit like, all oh, right, holy shit, so we're going to spend the whole time basically driving up and down the, the P 
PCH. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I'm going to have like surfing in, and I'm going to have like 5 minutes with each person. Um and yeah, I mean I totally got that, but equally I think the work that you ended up coming up with is it's like a, you know the, the it was defined by the limitations in a way yeah and i think all creative work is if you give someone a an op- too open a brief it, it, well certainly from my point of view creatively if it's too open the brief it's really difficult to to um get stuck in when when you have sort of restrictions and limitations on time or on budget or whatever it might be that's when you can get really creative because you have parameters to work within and that's, I think that's exactly right. It, it, it brought the best out of us. Uh, and, the, you know, yeah, there's no epic surf shots in there because we didn't get to go. I would have loved to, if we planned it, I would have been gunning for a surf shoot with Taylor Knox or, a, you know, a skate shoot with Jamie or, or Grayson or, or anyone, Herbie, you know. But obviously, that just wasn't going to happen. So, Well, I just think it was kind of to do with the profile of the podcast as well, to be frank, at that time, you know, like when when we did that trip we were relying on like loads of goodwill from people which has been one of the best parts about the whole experience because if you think about yeah like taylor friend of a friend basically yeah so welcoming like you know just just did it off the back of the fact that he'd basically been you know friends said yeah you should hook these guys up same with like herbie and dibby yeah same with everyone really you know they were everyone was just so accommodating but there was definitely i'm not saying it'd be different now I'm not saying they're all going to be like, oh, looking sideways. Yeah, we'll give you two days of our lives. <laughs> yeah. But you know what I mean, though? Like, it was like we were only ever going to get like like two or three hours with, with those people at the time. But yeah. I think because we've talked about going back, haven't we? And doing doing it again, doing it again, but like or going somewhere else and doing it. And I do quite like the idea of, um, you know, I really like the idea of I'm, I'm really into like that Anthony Bourdain show. I've never seen it. Where it's it's kind of like a food travelogue, but they go to a place and they meet people. But the way they do it is like much more seemingly off the cuff. I'd really love to go back next time with a filmer. Yeah, you've spoken about this before. Like, I'd do a little film of the whole trip. Do do like a do a do a thing about the trip, about the process, where you can really show the places and you can show the stuff that we did, and you, we can and we can have that almost behind the scenes stuff with the people yeah i think it'd be great i mean i i've often thought that we should make a series of looking sideways films for example it's a very natural place to go it's kind of different idea perhaps to i I feel like yours is more like the ranganathan or something whereas i'm thinking like uh i don't know the bbc imagine series with you as the alan yentob well i mean you could (laughs) that's a new one um you, you, you know but you could i just think to develop it in that way like yeah. and just see because it because again like you know like we're saying this trip that's why it's been such i think a rewarding experience for both of us like the trip was brilliant we had no idea how it was going to turn out it turned out great we got some great interviews we were really yeah. proud of it and now we've ended up sort of carving this book out of it which we're also really proud of which has kind of made the whole thing take on another life hasn't it really definitely and, and, and it, i think that you know the the jamie one was a big one wasn't it the Jamie Thomas one he kind of he really went there and really trusted trusted you with a with his story which was great and I just just actually listened to the Herbie one on the way down in the car just because I knew we'd be talking about the book and I, I missed the first half of it because I was you were shooting Grayson was taking pictures of Grayson yeah and um so I only got the second half so I thought I'd just go back and listen to it again because 
I think probably the the best section perhaps is the Herbie section, isn't it? In terms of this, his status, his stories, uh, and then the, how generous they were with their time and how well we connected, me and him. Yeah, you guys got on really well, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, he's a he was a real pleasure to listen to again, actually, that one. Yeah, he was great. I mean, that was one of those interviews where I was definitely sort of quite overawed by him. Yeah, you, you, you definitely were, seemed to be hanging on by the seat of your pants yeah like i think that's a completely fair comment and it i i had no idea what it was like no because i was 100 miles an hour wasn't it because i was concentrating so much on like letting him talk which sounds weird but and then when i did listen back to that one and i don't listen i never listen back to him to be honest but every now and again i do listen i do re-listen to someone i definitely re-listen to that one because i was like what was that actually like yeah you do a lot of like right Wow. Yeah, yeah. you know, because I was, I was definitely like, I'm just going to let him talk, really. Well, you didn't really need to steer him, did you? I think he's, for one, very well practiced in telling those stories. Yeah. So, you know, he tells them well. That guy. Other, apart from <laughs> all the, like, off-mic stuff like that, you know, all over the place. Yeah. But, um, I, yeah, you know, he tells them well, and they're brilliant stories. And, you know, it's definitely a case of just steer him in the right direction if you need to but you didn't really need too much did you no you almost couldn't get him to shut up at the end you kept saying right thanks very much i know yeah he just kept well he just warmed up didn't he he was like that the whole he was like that the whole kind of time we were at the 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 compound i'm going to call it because it's it's more a compound than a studio isn't it it's amazing that place yeah and he he just because if you remember we ended up staying for about another two hours didn't we yeah he did loads of paintings and he showed me all of the boards upstairs and uh, there's all like mannequins everywhere, aren't there? And broken but, but, skateboards. But that's the stuff, isn't it? Where like I think the book and potentially like a video thing, it would really you, get that. Across. You don't. You did. You didn't. You don't really. You, you, it's in the pictures that you took. But that was a, such a privilege. You know, I've been doing these Instagram posts um, around the 150th episode, where I've kind of been telling a little bit of a backstory behind some of the episodes from my point of view about like how they came about and stuff and people have been super into it because they've been like oh right you know like i didn't really yeah. know any of that and i think i think that's that's the stuff that we've been like super privileged doing I've got this. quite a nice pulled back shot of you actually that didn't make it into the book right because you can't see herbie it's just you surrounded by all of that madness i'll send it to you for a, a little bts post yeah man there's some good stuff like you know there's a lot of outtakes we can we could definitely do a little outtake session well, and then the build up to it. So how, I, I've got a, I mean, we've just kind of been talking, but I have got a question. Um, so I was chatting to Rachel Atherton for an interview, for an episode, which is going to come out after this one, probably episode 151, actually. Right. Yeah. You a, introduced me to her for some portraits the, the other day, which I must reply to. And it was a brilliant conversation. I mean, she's an absolute legend. But one of the things that she said was that one of the things that took her ages to get used to in a career was like how almost unfulfilling achieving a goal was. Right. Um, like you like hear that. you a bit flat kind of thing. Yeah. And you know, you, as somebody creative, do you, do you feel that? Like when you finish things, do you, do you, do you like, do you have time to kind of enjoy it or uh, is it normally like, right, what's next? quite often it's just like it's it's usually running late and it's got to get out the door so that i can get on with something else to be quite honest so i rarely have time to really revel in it and that's why yesterday was a, a pleasure really because i'd kind of self-imposed yesterday as the deadline and i knew it was friday and i knew i was coming to see you so i did i got a bit pissed last night for the first time 
in, in celebration of a good week. Um, and uh, so I did, I did really enjoy it. I'm still nervous about whether the photos will print well and, you know, whether I've made any mistakes in the process. But um, I think that's just normal. It's, it's, it's the first, it's one of the first books I've done. It's definitely the first book of my work that I've done. Um, yeah, and I'm really, I'm, I'm really chuffed about that because for me, that was the whole reason to do it. Like you say, it, it, it's ended up becoming something that's not just about your pictures, but obviously from the, from the beginning, I was a bit like, we should do a book of your pictures, like kind of thing. Yeah, and it, it and it is a really brilliant showcase of your work. So yeah, man, I'm really, I'm really pleased. We just got to hope. <laughs> this is, I, I'm going to give it a this type of plug. But the other interesting thing is like we have got no idea how many it's going to sell or how many to print no so it's been pretty funny that part of it hasn't it because we've been like well we've got john weaver's book as a as our only benchmark haven't we his did really well it's a brilliant book yeah um and anti, he anti blueprint project anti blueprint project he still hasn't sent me one i haven't asked him to actually <laughs> lol um but um orcs <laughs> he sort it out john i did nudge him saying do contributors get a uh, get a copy or not <laughs> Um, but um, yeah, I think I think he sold a few, you know, a good fair few of his, and and um, I guess we should hope hope to if we can get anywhere near that, that'd be great. I think. Yeah, well, so practicalities goes live on Vero probably next week. Um, so if you do follow me on Vero, and I've, I do, I have noticed quite a lot of familiar names on there then you will be able to buy the book directly from that. And then after that, probably in a couple of weeks, it's going to go live on my website, www.wearelookingsideways.com. And it'll also be live on like Instagram shopping and Facebook shopping and all that stuff. Have you got the, can you do that now? You got your swipe up the other day, didn't you? You got your 10,000 followers and now you I can. did get that, yeah. But also like Instagram shopping, you can just do that, like regardless of how many followers you are. And to be honest, like, I just it was one of them things where it'd been on the to-do list for about two years right and i finally did it the other weekend i finally i finally found a couple of hours to actually you buy your t-shirts well it just links straight to the website basically but you can tag stuff in so the book will be the same like you'll be able to like go on instagram tag like if i do a post on the book you bet there'll be a link that'll take you straight to the buy page right um so yeah like i say it'll be initially on Vero and then it'll be wider release not going to sell it on Amazon or anything like that Um, we're just going to sell it directly through our website and yeah going to be going to be pretty stoked to see it go out into the world really yeah I'm really looking forward to sending everyone that's in it and everyone that's contributed to it copies and yeah you know we expect it up to be really nice beautiful thing as well as an object from a designer's point of view nice materials nice papers nice cover so it's it's going to feel like a nice object and it's ballooned into what 250 pages so it's thick yeah and also um like you mentioned we've been so lucky with the contributors you know we got so that i when we were planning it i kind of made a quite stupid rule really which was like well the only contributors should be ex-guests i like that rule i thought it was good you've um, broken it though haven't you well we had to break it but I broke it with people that I'm hoping will come on in the future as guests. So so it was brilliant though. So we got Keith Malloy has written us a piece about Ventura. Chas Smith's contributed. Rob Machado's contributed. 
Dibby has contributed. I got Ben Powell. I've been asking Ben to come on the podcast now for about three or four years. Ben used to edit Sidewalk for a long time. Very old friend of mine. Um, I kind of got him to write me a piece as a bit of leverage to get him on the on the show. Jamie Brissick has written us a brilliant essay. Cersei Wallace has written us a brilliant essay. Craig Peterson, legend of surf journal- photojournalism, has written us a great piece. Um, yeah, they're really varied, aren't they? And Dibby wrote about Herbie, which is really nice. Yeah, but we're just so fortunate that, you know, Jeff Johnson wrote us a piece. So yeah, like it's a really, you know, feeling feeling really like it's a good, good snapshot. I think my I think my favourite intro out of all of them is Chaz's intro for Jamie. Yeah, it's really funny and really warm as well. Proper bromance. Yeah, it is really nice. Yeah, he loves him. Jamie's been a great champion of the, the whole project. Really, Jamie's yeah. been a great champion of the podcast. I mean, Jamie's yeah. been like absolutely brilliant, and uh, yeah, I actually can't wait to catch up with him again. Really, once all this is is over, yeah. So yeah, excited. But you've also been um, pretty busy. This, you know, although you're probably going to say that you don't feel like you have. But well, I, no, I've I've never been busier. I, I, you know, the lockdown thing's been a really productive time. Actually, looking at looking back at the last year, um, yeah. Well, obviously, the book has been fun, and I've been really enjoying photography as a way of I don't know processing everything as well, which has been quite interesting just going out and looking at stuff and this time last year being in Devon a lot and, and but the, the main thing I've done over the, the course of the year is to launch this a drinks brand a CBD drinks brand with with my friend Chris Kelly and and Justin Stone and another another Owen called Owen Keenan who's a, a cannabis genius if, if such a thing exists he's a, a cannabis expert is that his job title uh, his job title is CEO now of Good Rays which right. is our new brand um but he he run used to run a company called Cannabis Europa and Prohibition Partners, which are both um, kind of consultancies for the cannabis industry for people working in that space. And he, Chris Kelly is who you know really well. I think you introduced me to Chris actually. Yeah, um, very good friend of both of ours. We, we were just discussing earlier actually what a, what a great connector of people he is. He's a true producer, and uh, he he really has sort of produced this in a way. He's he's brought the four of us together and um i mean i think like being able to curate groups of people is a is a massively undervalued or, yeah. or like under under named skill really i think it's i think it's like i watched this brilliant documentary after hearing about it on adam books actually about clive davis no clive davis no clive davis is like the legendary music biz a and r man i guess okay but he signed like Janis Joplin, um, Whitney Houston, Barry Manilow. Right. Like he he is like the fucking legend. And it it I mean they talked about it on the Roisin Murphy episode of Adam Buxton. I love Roisin Murphy. She that she was brilliant on that. And um, so that's why I listened to it because she really sold the documentary. But that 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 was one of his skills though. Was like, bringing people together. Like he he's just like the supreme networker yeah you know like and he's got this like obviously everyone loves him like super likable guy loves music um like there's a great story where barry manilow is on there and this is again what roisin murphy talked about so i'm I'm slightly cribbing this but (laughs) basically it was like he made him do mandy you know like he's like you need to hit barry right 
have a go at this and he's like i'm not recording that it's shit you know like and then it's obviously like the biggest global smash in the world right and like that apparently was his sort of gold dust you know his ability to like connect people with producers and songs and yeah i think it's like a totally legit thing really that yeah i think chris you know chris basically as a producer was asked to make some films about cannabis right for uh, one of the big cannabis producers that are, basically what's happening is europe is following canada canada and the and the states as a um you know the industry is opening up cannabis the prohibition is being lifted essentially over there uh, and so chris sort of saw this happening in the in europe and has decided that he wanted to do something in that space and he'd been talking to me we'd been talking a lot about setting up a brand of some kind probably talking to you about that as well um and he'd been talking to justin a lot about that as well justin is is the guy that set up and run surf dome for years um and to to huge success and um and then they met owen the other owen the cannabis owen who we call e because he's spelt the irish way yeah um and that was the fo- that sort of made the, the the decision really to to go for it so we had me me as kind of creative owen as the cannabis expert chris as kind of marketing and brand man i suppose and and kind of the great connector and uh, and justin is just this amazing businessman and and kind of visionary businessman like is all i can say really i mean i i overuse the phrase force of nature on here quite a lot but right. he, he's definitely one of them and he justin yeah I mean, i've been lucky enough to have a few conversations with him recently about a couple of projects and he's definitely an impressive individual i think who, he uh, moves faster than most people who, he's who, who knows what he wants and seems to know how to get there which is another very very important yeah it's you know and, and when you get someone like him and someone like me and someone like chris together then it's a really nice combination and we're you know we're having a great time doing it it's a it's a you know it's a fizzy drink it's a, a cannabis seltzer is what we're calling it and uh it, it's got cbd in it which makes you feel great i think it's a little bit like having a bath or something having a couple of cans of it it just makes you feel super relaxed and mellow and um yes yeah, i mean we're just sort of sorting out this week again friday yesterday was a really good day because we've just been talking to distributors who love it and you know it looks like we're going to have nationwide distribution sorted by the time this comes out amazing and, and um you know it should be coming to a festival or a, a bar or a, a hotel near you pretty soon so how is it so you you're creative director essentially yeah so you you were responsible for like coming up with the entire identity of the brand is that is that yeah i'd say i, I mean obviously the like the the way like the, the way the whole thing's going to look the feel of it the brand that, yeah which definitely. is kind of what you do isn't it because you one of the things that you do obviously because you know as i will have covered in the intro which i haven't recorded oh, yeah. yet looking forward to that bit <laughs> I was a guest on a podcast the other day and the lad did the intro live. Oh, wow. And I was like, fucking hell, mate. Like, yeah. And he's like, I know. I kind of wish I'd not started doing it now. <laughs> wow. Like, that so is, you have to sit there and listen so to you him you've got to do it in front of your guest. Christ almighty. Fuck that. Um, but yeah, you know, like you're a photographer, you're a filmmaker, you're an artist, you're a designer, and you do this type of work. Because you did the Looking Sideways brand identity. Yeah, and, and it came up with the name, and you know, same with this. It's yeah. it's a funny one. I, and my other, and my company, All Conditions Media. You you created the branding for and the name and and, and backronymed the name. Backronymed. That's yeah. a brilliant expression. 
Yeah, uh, you know, it's funny, as you've experienced very recently with me trying to write my own bio, I, I have a very difficult time describing what I do because I, I do quite a few different things. And um, I've, I've, I've somehow become a bit of a, a jack-of-all-trades in a way. Um, I, I, I've recently realised I'm a photographer as well, or in the last you know couple of years, but photography is just something I've always done um, but design is where I've really made my living for the last 20 years I suppose it's kind of your day job isn't it yeah and it, and it, it's fed into becoming a photographer or a filmmaker or a, a doing branding and doing the more kind of high level stuff um, but still I still you know push pixels around pages a lot uh, for a living uh, and I love it I love both ends of it I love the high-end thinking and the positioning and the naming and the you know, like the kind of brand creation side of it. And I love creating a really balanced, beautiful, perfect geometric shape for a logo or, or however it ends up. So, and they're very different. You know, they're all, they're all very linked, but um, the, it's nice to be able to do all of those things. But it doesn't mean that I kind of, uh, I end up doing lots of different stuff and find it hard to write my own bio for a book, for example. So like when you're doing something like Good Rays, have you got a process that you can kind of describe or is it more I, I think or, or it's not not really it's, it, it's different for every project and for the first thing with Goodrays or with the you know the, the drink project was coming up with a name you know and that's one of the hardest things especially in a uh, you know a kind of world where every dot com and every Every iconic word has been trademarked or taken and owned by something already. Well, we had those conversations in California, didn't we, about the cannabis market? Because that was really fascinating because we ended up quite stoned for a lot of that trip, let's be honest, because you bought those, um, what was it called again? Um, yeah, well, this is it. This, we went to California, California just at the point where we were researching the cannabis industry. And Chris had said to me, while you're there, you know, try a load of stuff, see what see what's good. Um, the only one we'd really knew about was MedMen, but the other this other one was something on Abbot Kinney Boulevard. What's it called? Again? Oh, it was a Dosist. It was Dosist. Yeah. It looked like a bit like a uh, tampon applicator, didn't it? Yeah, and it was basically like a a plastic um, inhaler, thing. inhaler, vaporizer with a little chip in it that had fifty goes. Did it? It would measure, yeah, it was, so basically it would stop, rather than those kind of v vapists that you see walking down the street billowing out like a, a thousand gallons of smoke, it would stop you at one dose, which is why it's called dosis, that was their concept. And they had a range of, from, from one to ten of how fucked it would get you, basically. But we ended up having a really geeky brand conversation about that, because essentially... And, you know, this is not a, an original insight, but, you know, I grew up smoking weed. I, I'm quite happy to say that as a kid. Yeah. And what I kind of realized over there was like, oh, yeah, this is like a completely black market product. With, yeah. with like a completely black market, enormous billion dollar industry. Yeah. That is now being mainstreamed. Yeah. And, you, and you've essentially got like these people behind these brands who are having to position it and you've got the dosist for example they're like who, the apple mac who've of, gone down the apple route and yeah. you go and you go in those stores and and what was funny about that as well was 
it was so nicely marketed, even down to the point that when you got the thing out of its box, it was a bit like when you get a, a new iPhone or whatever. It was like yeah. it was like a really ritualistic bit of packaging, wasn't it? And the brand, like the, the stuff that came with the brand, was like really playing up the health benefits. And what was really fascinating was both of our wives don't really smoke weed. But they were all right. Well but they, but when they saw that, it was like, oh, right, that sounds kind of cool. I mean, that's just how marketing works, fine, whatever it's like. But but I was like, wow, this is so fascinating. Because obviously it's the same product as a spliff, basically. Yeah. Like it's it's healthier, but it does it's the same thing. End of the day, you're inhaling something into your body, which... I think that's what's so interesting about branding is that people think it's about a logo and a colour scheme. But it, it really has to be about the whole experience and interaction with the brand. It's about who you associate with, what, you know, the brands go into what their shop smells like. And when you walk in and especially weed brands, you know. Um, so, you had, so you had that and then, you know, we went around to Cersei's place and Cersei. She's got the hot knife. She's got the hot knife brand, which is basically we like to party like neon yeah punk kind of aesthetic so they've so, she, so her brand's gone down that route yeah and then and then the more i looked into it the more i was i was just quite fascinated by all the different positions that all these different brands were taking yeah to sell the same products essentially so obviously when you've come like you say when you've come to create good rays yeah you, you try to do the same thing aren't you? you try to find that positioning you try to find that and and i think you have come up with this really accessible you know yeah friendly inclusive idea behind it right well the idea i mean good rays is, is after the kind of what's going on now with the clouds and the sun where you get those the sun goes behind a cloud and you get a lovely flash of light behind it and that, that the idea of that really is that everything on the planet is solar powered all, all life on earth is made possible by plants and so photosynthesis and then the food chain that goes up from there um so we're all about sunlight and and Chris and I are both filmmakers and visual people so we, you know we wanted to make it about creativity CBD really and cannabis as well are both really linked to CBD to anxiety which is a, probably the biggest enemy of creativity uh, and then cannabis is obviously linked to the, to the jazz scene and music and and uh, and creativity in, in, in other ways um, so it just felt like a nice positive you know way to be what we really want to do is talk about cannabis and it's a very interesting plant it's the it's the oldest cultivated crop in the world it's, it's, we've had a relationship as humans with cannabis for something like twelve thousand years it's been used in almost every culture either as, as a sort of ritualistic thing or as a, a medicine or as a food source the seeds or as a fiber source for clothing or for fuel you know farmers used to grow it every american farmer used to grow hemp which is the same thing uh to to make fabric to fuel and to distill into alcohol to then make fuel for their machinery so it's an amazing plant that's been kind of misunderstood and vilified really for this war on drugs thing uh, you know it's it's, it's taken a, a bit of a, a wrong turn and, and it's coming back now and uh, you know if you compare it to alcohol in the you know the amount of deaths caused by alcohol compared to cannabis is it's just no comparison it's a it's a positive thing it's good for us if used in the right way alcohol is just bad for us if used in any way other than cleaning your hands to get covid off them well that's why i'm currently going through my annual um 
flat self-flagellation booze holiday yeah and you know i mean i, I love a i love a booze as much as anyone but it's just been really amazingly eye-opening and interesting to read about it and to learn about it i think that's probably one of my favorite things in the world is when you really find something to learn about and to delve into you know yeah we well, can see that with the the work you've you've all done on it like it's definitely like a complete kind of universe that you try to create isn't it yeah and you know we, we come from all of us come from action sports owen's a skater and he did seasons over in uh, canada before going and doing the trimming you know the murder mountain seasons trimming weed and chris and i and justin are all surfers so um it just really made sense to sort of position it in the way we have which is a kind of essentially a, a bit like an outdoor or action sports brand but for a for a drink you know i guess you know red bull do it with energy drinks but they do it in a kind of i don't know i don't know how many people work for red bull actually drink drink the drink or uh, the athletes that, that are um drink that actually drink the drink i genuinely really like our product it's really delicious and i mean i've started drinking it of an evening now instead of a beer which is it's a pretty good sign you think i'd be sick of it after two years of talking about it and thinking about it but actually i'm i'm really into it it's really good and how so because you're a bit over the years like we've known each other probably 20 years about round about yeah um you know you're a serial brand guy you know you're always like you're always coming up with ideas for brands and you know when i met you you had an idea for a brand that you try to get off the ground and stuff and like was that the yard yeah 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 but you've always like you know one of the things you're probably the person i that has the most ideas of anybody i've ever met like in terms of i mean that struck me from the first time i met you it was like wow this guy's got a lot of ideas <laughs> <laughs> like because it's almost like sometimes you talk to you and you just start coming out with ideas you just, yeah you just start like f freestyling creative ideas and that's funny it's very impressive because it's because they're always really good um and i've all and that's and that's never changed like in in you know like and, and a lot of it has always been like well we could do this and we could do this you know you've always had like quite big visions for things you know? yeah I, I definitely enjoy the ideas generation and the you know it's something that comes naturally i think ideas are quite easy what has changed i think is that i'm starting to make them happen a bit more yeah and finish things and you know like for example the the idea the brand that you were talking about before the yard that that was that was me and my my oldest one of my oldest friends paddy sort of trying to uh, and dom trying to make a, a clothing brand because we we're inspired by volcom you know we wanted to be the Devon Volcom. The Devon Volcom. <laughs> well, then, not Devon, but, you know, like, just a new a new version of that. But um, obviously we failed. But um, it, it's a huge learning process. And I think, you know, we, you can easily feel defeated by failure, but actually you learn so much from it. And then it's it, all of the stuff that I did there fed into, well, I mean, and that carried on into a football tournament that now is a load of, you know, one of your favourite weekends of the year. And... Probably, it, probably the favourite weekend of the year. Yeah, and it, and it all feeds into other stuff. You know? Yeah, and I think you realise that as you get a bit older as well. But also, the other thing is as well with the idea thing, like, I just think it's almost like a muscle as well. Like, I remember having a conversation with a friend of ours years ago where he kind of got, he told me he found mine and your habit of, like, sitting there and spieling off ideas together quite annoying. Who's that? 
I'm not going to say who that was. Um, <laughs> and and I was a bit like, and it, and one of the things he said was like, because because he, he never lead anywhere. And I was a bit like, huh. you're missing the point though. The point isn't the point isn't that they're going to lead somewhere. The point is to have the ideas. Well, and you know, there's a great pleasure in having an idea, and you know, you can live in your you've got to live with yourself right and if your if your life is filled with excitement and ideas and trying to do things and trying to create things i'd much rather be the, in that space than being inert or not having not being inspired you know like it's great to have but it's, but energy it's, and it's also how you get yourself up to the ideas that are going to lead somewhere yeah you you have to cut your teeth you have to try a few things you know looking sideways was a different thing it was an idea we had for something else completely uh, and it's become this brilliant podcast you know and and we learned a lot and we also learned how much we like working together and how how you know great the the results can be if if it works well you know that's one of my greatest things is working with other people i love working with people um i love collaborating i think it's one of the greatest pleasures when it goes well and uh you know you, you have to try stuff to to learn how to do it yeah you can't sort of hit the ground running no exactly and i i was always just a bit like because i've had that leveled at me loads over the years like but i was just like yeah but that that's that's the point yeah <laughs> that's what you're supposed to do isn't it it's just fun you you're know, supposed like... to you're supposed to like just try and have a laugh creating things and seeing where they lead and and i think you're right i think as you get older you kind of realize that the things that don't work are almost the point yeah. like a lot a lot of the time because you're the biggest lessons it yeah, really hurts it's really disappointing you learn what not to do next time but you also learn how to deal with failure and how to um take something from it and put that knowledge back into something else it sounds really obvious when you hear accomplished people say that because it's something i think no one tells you that when you're young and you're doing it and fucking it up no for the first time do they or rarely no but i mean it's something you know there's an entire podcast like called how to fail which is about this <laughs> very topic right and it I should check it out it's great um and she's just written a book as well actually um elizabeth day i think her name is Re- really recommend it but it's about that and like i say it's they do the mistakes the failures the errors they do they, they've all got a point yeah, they absolutely have. And you can make a point out of them as well. You know, you can choose how to pr- process them and grow from them, I suppose. Yeah. You know, you can be negative. You know, and I, you know, I'm not like a kind of all smiling, positive, grinning person all the time at all. But uh, I do try to um, reframe the negative uh, events in my life and, and learn from them yeah consciously as i get older i try and do that more because i'm more i'm more aware of them you start to see patterns and um yeah you know pick your battles and 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 choose to learn and choose to grow is a definitely a strategy but with the when i look back at the yard i think what i find interesting about the yard is that you know you got you got into surfing as a kid right in devon yeah and did the idea for the yard come after that? The idea for the yard came from Paddy. Right. Paddy's, Paddy I met when I went to secondary school in Devon and, and we learnt to surf together. And um, I went away and did seasons in Maribel like you did. And when I came back one 
summer or or after I'd finished that that I think it was one summer because I um, took it back to Maribel. He was wearing this this cool T-shirt with a cool logo on it, and uh, and I just said, "Well, what's that?" You know, I was a designer by then, and I, and I kind of clocked it and was like, "That's pretty cool." And we talked. He'd done ten different T-shirt companies, or three different T-shirt ideas before that, um, all with dodgy names. Um, Bit of a rite of passage back then, wasn't it? Yeah, you, you know, you do the fat with a PH kind of you'd stuff. Do, you do the T-shirt brand, wouldn't you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Jono did it, didn't he, with Broody, which Broody. was brilliant. I loved Broody when yeah. it came out. Um, but so I just, you know, genuinely saw Paddy for the first time in a year and said, cool t-shirt, where's that from? And he said, oh, it's mine, you know, it's my brand. And I said, oh, you know, is there room for me in, in there, in there with that, you know? And, uh, I'd been talking to, to Dom as well, who's another really great old friend of mine. And so we all kind of got together and tried to, to turn it into a clothing brand. And we were too young and too inexperienced and no money and you know not well connected enough but it did lead to you know you you study it's very it, idealistic it was very it was you know you had the whole backstory you had the whole well, thing. so the backstory was that paddy used to go skating and kick a football around in the old station yard in south brent where he grew up in south devon um and so it would be literally a meet you at the yard at six o'clock you know and and uh and that's where he'd go and skate with with his mates from south brent so it was just a kind of genuine homage to his childhood, really. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, but that was that was why it was great. You know, yeah. that was why it was because because it was one of those things that everybody. Everyone's got that spot, haven't they? Around the back of everyone's got that or, story. Yeah, everyone. where they hang out with their mates, where you snog your first girl or boy or whatever. Yeah. Um, and and I think uh, it really connected on that to me. I was like, that's such a great idea, you know. And and then. Um, you know, it didn't really work out for, for, for various reasons, but it's turned into this football tournament that we talk about once upon a time in the West Country. Well, what it's turned into is a football team. Yeah. The Yard. Uh, yard reunited because we're, we're never together apart from at the football tournaments. Um, and that's brilliant. It's, you know, there's a really, we've been, as you've come to the, these amazing tournaments that we got invited to in all over Europe and oh they're amazing you know it's, uh, it's, it's one of the things I'm really looking forward to once the uh, shit show's over yeah you know I thought about that on the way down I haven't spoken to Paddy for a, a little while I asked, since pa- this I asked Paddy the other day I messaged him and said, did he get back to you yeah he said he said he was going to see well he's b- busy building building the dream now yeah, well, this is another thing that we should talk about because this is this is a really brilliant example of what we're what we're kind of discussing, and I th- I don't think the like what it's going to be this facility that you can probably expand upon a little bit is going to be called the yard, is it? But like it's basically coming from the same place, isn't it? And like you say, these things evolve and you yeah. know it like take on life of their own. And, it's gone full circle. This and really. and like so, explain a little bit about this. Well, so I mean, Paddy's is a Devon Devon boy through and through he's you know he's he's found his home which is Bantham which is where we grew up surfing and um he's found a he you know he's found a place to build rebuild or to recreate what the yard was for him for the community there uh they're going to call it outside or we're going to call it outside I should say I'm I'm involved in doing the branding and 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 the design of it now with him and it's Paddy and and our friend Ben and our other friend Roddy who's an architect um, and then Agatha and, and Jess, Paddy's wife, and a, a whole load of people that are, you know, involved in that community down in South Devon. And it, it's going to be a skate bowl and a football pitch, uh, you know, so it is essentially 
what we named the yard after, but it's recreated and built into, uh, uh, and there's gonna be a cafe, and it's gonna, you know, it's the dream. It's Paddy basically recreating what he's always wanted for his kids and for other people's kids. And I mean, I hope I'm hoping to get him into the bowl. We'll see. Let's get the old man skating. Yeah. Um, and there's gonna be a community garden there, and um, all sorts of amazing stuff. It's, it's, I think it's pretty much the best thing I've heard of. It's, it's gonna have surfboard shaping facilities yeah i mean he's gonna he's, i mean paddy's one of those lads and he that we've he's all a dreamer but he's a doer as well paddy like he does get shit done doesn't he and he again he's like i was saying about chris paddy is a connector he's a he's such a personable and lovable yeah everyone person. loves him and yeah. like he's i mean yeah quite rightly because he's an absolute ledge but yeah, yeah like you know the football is such the foot we always just call it the football don't we <laughs> yeah um, once upon a time in the West Country is a bit of a... But it's it's like so mindful. Paddy, isn't it, that, that weekend? It's like Paddy's like... He's usually like one of the best players. Yeah, he's, he's one of the top scorers. You know, he's sure. always... You know, he's all, he's brilliant at football. He's always like... Um, he plays the most games. He does the most time behind the bar. He's never yeah. got a hangover. He's like, you know, he's just there every... And it, it's such a brilliant, like personification of what he's like and what he brings to a community i think you yeah know, he's you, a, know, you know what i'm saying like yeah he brings energy and and he brings so much love to to everything and he makes like he sets the tone of that event like Absolutely. i mean and i know there's loads of people that are involved in it like you're heavily involved in it like there's you know roddy's involved in it like you know the big big group of our friends are involved in it yeah lara martin lara's you know, hugely involved in run it run the bar now yeah like um but paddy really you know, we've all got those friends, haven't we, that, that like, kind of have that role. Yeah, and he's, he's a linchpin, for he's, sure. He really is, and, and I think just the fact that he's now getting to do this thing yeah, is really brilliant, isn't it? And it's, it's Ben that's enabled that, you know. Paddy, so Paddy's managed the... He, he's managed to get to know... You know Paddy will get to be best mates with a farmer in Devon, like Mike Baker, who's the farmer who sold them the field. Which is he the guy that does the host the football as well he's he's the guy that owns the field that paddy built the football tournament on yeah you know he, paddy built that football pitch by on his own by hand rolled it out you know he got the goals he painted the lines you know on a on a field that was just a horse field yeah when we lost the b sands site paddy built that, that place it's like field of dreams you yeah know? i mean it was like again it was proper like dreamer territory wasn't it you yeah. know, he was driving past that field every day and he's like i'm gonna fucking yeah. hold a football tournament there and then he and then he got chatting to mike and as paddy does you know he's he'll be best like i say best friends with a with a uh, 55 year old farmer and uh also best friends with the local kids that surf down at bantham he's just you know he's a community minded fellow and um he got talking to Mike, the farmer, and, and said, you know, well, would you sell us a field if we can afford to buy it? And that's where Ben came in. And, um, you know, Ben's done really well with his music and, and is financially in a spot where he could afford to buy this field. Uh, so he's he's really enabled this now for Paddy to, to realise the dream, which is his dream. But actually, I mean, you know, I'm going to move to Devon eventually so that I can go there every day and, and work from there and shape surfboards from there and you know yeah it's, it's a fucking brilliant idea yeah can't wait yeah gotta hope the football happens this year and the football you know is in the two fields down yeah yeah I mean it's such a brilliant yeah well they're just you know the football and the alternative world cup thing which I've been lucky enough to go to as a 
player for Yard Reunited as a ringer every now and again. No, you're a fully fledged team member now. Probably the only one without a tattoo, though. Maybe that's maybe no, that's why not many of us have tattoos. Um, Paddy says a posse a posse at Essex because he put the Yard logo, which looks like an X, a little bit too close <laughs> to the essay. <laughs> really, <laughs> it just says a posse at Essex. Brilliant. And but uh, but those I just love those little. I mean, it's a bit like action sports, isn't it? Like these just little cultural scenes that just you have, you don't know about, and then when you experience it you're just like what it's just like one of life's great pleasures isn't it when you discover something that's just so bound up with friendships and and love and community i don't know i just think that alternative world cup that you mentioned is a is kind of the reason we do our football tournament in fact it's completely the reason we got invited by my nephew jack who's a uh probably my oldest and best friend definitely my oldest and best friend is a year older than me i've known him all my life and he plays for a team called the Eastern Cowboys in Bristol. And um, and they're a kind of anarchist, kind of punk football team uh, that uh, were heavily involved with this, this football tournament called the Alternative World Cup, which was set up uh, just after the year after the Berlin Wall came down, which I guess is 1989. And so that two, two sort of West German and East German cousins, could, their teams could play each other for the first time ever. I didn't um, know that. And is, so they, is that where it came from? They, they set up a game. God, I didn't the even know that. The game became a tournament. This makes it even better. Uh, and the tournament became the Alternative World Cup. And and the Cowboys have been playing it for 20 years. No, they've been, yeah, 25 years probably. Right. And um, so Jack had this tournament. And what, what's great about that tournament is it's hosted by a different team every year. So every year at the end of the event, someone steps up and goes, we're going to do it next year. And everyone goes, Whoa! And you know, then we all go to Belgium, or we all go yeah. to Germany. It's got that real. Now that you say that, it makes a lot of sense because it's got that. It's quite a throwback that do because it is a bit sort of. Well, it's got that. It's a bit anti-fascism. It's a bit thing. It's really heavy. Like you know, like eighties, nineties kind of anti-fascism. Yeah, there's a real punk, you know, but it's it's serious. They're seriously anti-fascist. They're no, not no, just it's like a proper it. thing. Yeah, but like yeah. when we were growing up, there was that was way more prevalent wasn't it yeah it's yeah it's got it's got sort of shades of the you know the this is england uh tones you know the yeah, exactly Meadows. exactly it's got it's got a real proper crusty like you know what i mean like that sounds yeah. like i'm insulting it i'm really no, not it's, but it's it's beautiful and it's it's quite it's quite loaded let's say countercultural. yeah but, and know, it, is, like, it is heavily loaded and it is you know you you can get into some you can get out of your depth in a discussion with them and feel like oh right they really mean something these guys yeah uh, which is really cool, I think. And so anyway, the, the reason we ended up going to those is because the Cowboys were hosting the tournament in Devon because they didn't have a a site they could do it at in Bristol. And Paddy and I just harangued Jack to let us come. Right. See, I didn't know this. And we turned up and won it. And we'd yeah. never played as a, as a team before. We were called the, the Yard United. Jose Mourinho. Or Ununited. <laughs> we were called, yeah, that's where I got the name Jose Mourinho. <laughs> Well, I couldn't play. I fucked my ankle like the week before the tournament. So I ended up being the manager. Lost my voice from shouting so much. That's I was banging funny. pots and pans. And, um, but we won. And so we had to be invited back. Much to their chagrin, I think. They yeah. were pretty, they were, we were all about five years younger. And we, we, you know, we all just played football very sort of part-time. When there were no waves on a Sunday, we would go and play at the AstroTurf in Totnes, in Devon. And... Um, so we we were like the kind of twats that turned up and won it, and they were like, "Oh, you're all taking it too seriously. You're all too young," 
And we were like, you know, we don't have a football team. Yeah. We just, we didn't even know our goalie. Yeah, he was yeah. an estate agent <laughs> that worked in Dartmouth and we made him leave his job to come and play in goal for us. Is that mine? He, Martin Dustin, yeah. And no he way. met his wife at that festival. Fucking hell, that's, this is brilliant. It was, it's all just so, such a beautiful story, that. Um, so yeah, we now go to that every year, apart from the last couple of years, obviously. Um, and then we, we, but we never once played the Eastern Cowboys at the f- tournament because the, the alternative World Cup is 25 teams. Um, so we, we set up once upon a time in the West Country to play the Cowboys, which is why it's called that because it's a reference to once upon a time in the West and the cowboy yeah, yeah. culture and everything. Right. And I used to have a lot of fun doing kind of cowboy themed Yeah, your branding for that is brilliant. Um, and then that kind of turned, we thought, well, if we're going to have them down for a game, we might as well invite a couple of other teams and, you know, we got you guys down yeah. as almost athletic, I think you were called. Yeah, the, the first time, yeah, and then it came, became Brundon. I might actually use this as a bit of a call out for players, actually. Cause, yeah, uh, <laughs> get your team sorted. Or I'm the captain of the Brundon team and we always need players. Yeah, well, so, you've got the, you've yeah. got possibly the best player in the tournament. Yeah, two best players I'd say the yeah. Hill brothers, Defo, absolute Alec. legends. Yeah, Alex and Owen. Um, so yeah, you know where to find me if you if you want to come and play for Brundon. Yeah, <laughs> and keep your eyes peeled for Once Upon a Time in the West Country. Yeah, we should also say we're we're at the pipes. It's flat, but there is some of the locals have set up a winch. Yeah, it's been quite fun watching them. Yeah, zip been, back and forth. It's been rad. They're like they've got they've got the winch on the groin, and then they're. Uh, they're basically what it's about 100 meters isn't it he's got a nice looking board as well that guy yeah i mean like fair play like definitely making the most of it yeah little sort of half a foot ripples coming in on a sunny day and then they're just flying up doing little airs and slashes off these i mean i've not seen anyone land anything it sounds a bit more spectacular than it is but it looks a lot of fun and the dogs chasing them down the beach is pretty funny as well yeah it's got a lot of memories layers of memories attached to it this place for me it's funny driving down shit pipes well brighton and this area brighton and this part of the coast right in general my gran lived in worthing all my life so i used to go and come up here all the time i was born in brighton and i know i remember that yeah moved to devon when i was little so it's full of memories full, of memories, full yeah. memory lane yeah yeah just driving just following you just down here you know we've surfed down here so many times in the crappiest waves ever yeah i think it's hilarious that brighton's got I mean, you know, I've had some really good fun surfs here, but it's got the heaviest localism scene if you if you pay attention to your narrative. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like it sounds like Leonardo Bay or something. <laughs> but, um, that is funny. It's got you know pretty, but very much below average waves, but a thriving surf scene, isn't it? Yeah, fuck yeah, yeah. It's like packed. I mean, anytime, anytime it's half decent, there's eighty people in the water. I think. I mean the localism thing I've talked about this before like I just think it's about what I find fascinating about it is the, just the culture clash of it because essentially you know you grew up surfing yeah so you you know you have like you know what the etiquette is supposed to be but you know you've got this new influx of people especially this year in, in and I'm talking about Britain specifically who've all started surfing, who just don't come from that, who don't have that cultural grounding of, of you know, what you, sp- I'm using inverted commas, like what you're supposed to do with etiquette. And 
Yeah, I mean, it's like a highway code, isn't there, basically? There but it's are... not like it's written down anywhere. You know, mm. like one of the things I always see on Instagram, because it has been going on a bit on Instagram, is like, it's not like people can't find it easily. And I'm a bit like, I actually can't, kind of disagree with that. I don't think there is like a real... If there was a highway code that you could just bang out, then fair enough. But what I find interesting, though, and, and I'm not trying to get into the specifics, I'm, I'm more interested in... Can, you know, like, can classical surf etiquette is it fit for purpose in the modern surf culture that that's what i find fascinating about this and i'm not saying i'm not saying either way what i think about that i'm just saying like you can see that there's a clash going on yeah and i and i just find that really interesting and the people who come from the classic and again i'm just using that as as a kind of easy phrase like they think it's really obvious and they're like they're just like you know, I saw a post on Instagram earlier where it was a small wave at Saunton and somebody was dropping in and there was this whole debate going on and they're all going like, you know, people should know about all this. And It's fascinating, isn't it? It's just, it's, I just find it fascinating. I just yeah. find it totally fascinating. And one very specific thing I'll ask you about is, so I don't know if you know James Bowden. Like, I don't know James. I, I, I saw the post. I don't know James put. that well. I, I do really like James and we've got loads, loads of mutual friends in common. And right. he, and this all came from Pete, Pete Geel, I think his name is. Yeah. From down. He's lovely. Yeah. He's, I've never uh, met James. But no, I've, I've met never Pete. met Pete, but he's he's sent me a couple of nice messages about the podcast. We've got loads of again mutual friends. Yeah. And um, and he he's now in Australia, and he posted a thing, saying like, um, great to see everyone's getting loads of waves, but really not that impressed by the fact that there's this race to post them on Instagram. Right. On the day. You know, like for me, etiquette includes like knowing when to talk about things. And well, Peterson and Norton talk about that in the book, don't they? There's a quote from them about that. You know, that how funny they find it. Maybe we actually lo- lost that quote, but there definitely was one that we were looking at, which was about you know nowadays everyone, as soon as they find a great wave, they put it on YouTube. Yeah, exactly. Whereas they would guard it with their lives you know like you don't share you but, you but, keep mystery but, but people do now yeah and yeah. like and and the thing that james was talking about so james then posted a couple of things which were like kind of backing up what pete was saying and yeah and, and he he sort of did that thing that i do where he ended up posting loads of the messages that he'd received and right. it it very quickly turned into a debate among photographers about what was acceptable in the modern environment and i had a couple of mates looking at it because i was reposting some of them and one of my mates was like this is just a load of old fart photographers pissed off that there's a new medium in town like and i was a bit like well there is a there's obviously a little bit of that going on but the point that they're making about surf etiquette is also really legitimate but again my fascination is can you actually in this day and age try and enforce that or are you just basically putting your finger in a hole in the dam and you know like is it and and again i I don't know what the answers are but i just find that whole area of like an a a traditional culture meeting the reality of the modern world yeah it's really interesting very fascinating i think localism is the ugliest side of surfing it's really unpleasant well that's why Um, i've not used the word localism i've used etiquette because i'm not i'm not sure localism is that helpful in this context because right it and, and again like if i look at you know down here i've got loads of beginner friends which is also one of the reasons i found this so interesting who are coming down here and i've i've called them out a couple of times on dropping in on people you know and i've been like look you can't do that 
Yeah. Like I know we're all here together and I know like it, you know, but you actually can't do that. It's the classic party wave shout when a good wave comes in. You can't actually do that. And and they have a couple of times they've been like, yeah, boy, what does it matter? And I'm like, yeah, but it kind of does matter because the more that, the more that you do that, the, then the less the, the etiquette is going to exist, which is, which True. is a legitimate thing, yeah. you know, which is why I'd rather, I think localism is, is, is kind of a different thing. Yeah, you're right. That's just kind of canty protectionism really. Um, but well, that's when etiquette isn't territorialism, working. isn't it? And, and I, you know, i definitely think that, and I've said this before that the Darwinian element to localism, it, it gives people a reason who are anti-social anyway, to be just balanced. Like, you know, that's, but that's human nature, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, one of the, one of the funny comments I got off a kid, who I'm quite pally with on the podcast was like localism is just mediocre local surfers try to get more waves because they're too shit <laughs> and I was like well that's the take yeah, yeah. well the photography thing what do you think about that what in terms of whether you should sh- share well just the general like you know I think again, it's weird like the, the that t- people um, don't respect the kind of uh, the spot uh, or the kind of location thing I think it's okay to share a great photo of a wave whenever you and however you want but I do think um, you know maybe don't share the one that shows the location quite so clearly so that everyone flocks there I know Paul Levin for example has just been pretty fucked by the amount of well, that, that, I know. mean, James lives near Port Flavin, so yeah, I think that's it, inspired it a bit. You know, and, you know I mean, you, it's the kind of place people just, some people just don't even want to go and surf there because it's so busy now and it gets mobbed and it must be very frustrating if you're a local. But, but, if, you, but if you're like a, you know, let's look at it another way. You know, if you're a young photographer who is got a bit of talent and is like thinking about how they can get noticed and there's no magazines around and, you yeah. know, like, because the magazines back in the day would have, were the only outlet so that it naturally did this yeah and i also don't think that you know the, the argument that that james posted i don't know if it was his um words or somebody else's was that you know what if the magazines got the photos and put and we trusted in them then they'd still be around for us to read now i you know i, I think it's quite a nice idea but i don't really think that's true I think the world has changed and people do want instant gratification and they do what, want to scroll th- this through is what Instagram this and is, see the pictures. This is what I'm way. saying. This is, this is reality. And I do, I totally agree that a great surf photo is still a great surf photo two weeks later or two months later. But I think you can't really go against change. You know, you, it, again, it's, like, it's so fascinating though, isn't yeah. it? Because but I totally like, get the, and I think that the post that you kind of put up in reply that was basically something to do with like, anything new in your 20s is exciting and anything new in your 30s is a threat Douglas um, Adams yeah you know I thought that was pretty spot on really we're all we're all kind of slightly fogeyish really and we don't like yeah, new the, things at a certain point in our lives the, obviously that changes person to person the quote par- yeah the, I mean the quote is about it's one of my favourite quotes really it's really famous Douglas Adams who wrote Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and it's about I mean the, I think this quote's like from the early 80s you know so, but it's like his it's about the, how humans react to technology. Yeah. And in, and in the, you know, in, in this context, technology, I mean, a pencil is technology, isn't it? You know, at some point people, yeah. people would have been moaning about the fact it was putting the quill makers out of business. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and he, he basically says, yeah, anything that is in place when you're born is normal. Anything that's invented between when you're 15 and 35 is massively exciting. And you, you, you want to make a career out of it. 
anything that's invented after you're 35 is against the natural order of things and should be banned. Yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of case closed, isn't it? Yeah, but it's just sort of, it, it's, it's funny because it's true. But, you know, I think, I think um, James made a really compelling point for not sharing. You know, there's obviously a compelling argument for both sides. And uh, I guess I don't really have an opinion. I just think no matter how good your argument is, people are going to do it anyway. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, I just think, I do, I do think the, you know, not showing too many pointers of where a great wave might be yeah, all, is all. just kind of goes without saying. If you're worried about overcrowding surf and it, it does, it is getting busier everywhere, you know, show a, show a water shot where it's a great wave, fine, but maybe just don't put the one with Paul Flevin bloody, t- uh, you know, clock tower in it and... yeah. I don't know. Yeah. No, I mean, like I say, I, it's for, it's not even about localism, is it? Because no. the other thing, or etiquette, the other thing that I found quite fascinating about the replies that James got was clearly a lot of the response was actually about con- concerns about gentrification yeah. and, and like cultural change in Cornwall and how like surfing and the change in lineup is a manifestation of those wider societal changes, which are obviously like really, really damaging. You know, there's a couple of people that are like, if I see another picture of like a load of kids around, in, do you know what I mean? Like on a beach with a selling, selling a lifestyle of Cornwall, essentially that isn't realistic, you know, right? that, that is, and the implication being as ever in a conversation about those parts of the world is like that change is actually really damaging to those communities. Yes. Yeah. I and, mean, Bantham now on a, on a sunny weekend with a good, five star bloody forecast you know ev- you know everyone looks at magic seaweed everyone sees the forecast coming a mile off bantham is mobbed and it really suffers from a lack yeah, that of ro- etiquette and, but also that road into bantham is yeah. like then fucking snarled up all day and yeah. you know like if you live there you, it's hard to get out it's not just about the, the the surfing at that point is it no you know but i think for, for example the etiquette question bantham could really do with a a bit of that you know like now on a good well predicted swell at Bantham the first wave of a set 15 people take off well I mean last time I actually surfed Bantham properly was about was the day before your wedding in fact right Um, and I remember that because I just got back from China and Lima picked me up at Heathrow Airport at like 8 o'clock at night and we drove down and we parked in the van at Bantham actually parked outside Ben's house around the corner slept in the van got up at six because it was firing and, and and then we went to your wedding later on that day nice and basically I paddled out and I just got really lucky because I got in that conveyor belt rip yeah ended up on the peak set wave came it wasn't big it's was like two three foot but it was a decent little wave yeah and I was like alright I'm on the peak now obviously that would have been massively frowned upon by all the locals um, well, to be honest, the locals have given up most of them. Well, I got dropped in on three times. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, that's what the kids there dro- drop in. Um, on that one wave. It was a brilliant wave. It was like one of those proper long Bantham waves. Yeah, but the, there's the, an old guy who like looked at me <laughs> and just looked me in the eye and just went. And yeah. I was like, all right, fair enough. We both, you know, we both rode the wave. But he was obviously like, I don't know who you are. I don't know why you're on that wave. And I'm going to take off. Bantham is terrible for that. And I was like, wow, that's that's... He, he let me know about that but I think the <laughs> thing is I think that's where etiquette is really important and it would come in really handy if everyone did know 
and, and I ah, think etiquette works he, really well he at knew. surf spots that have great waves and have a line up like that or a bank where there's a specific peak and a and a you know a wave that runs down a sandbank or a reef or ever or a point that's where etiquette works because it is so clear you know you yeah. you get your point at the top you take the next wave next person moves up in the line where you get someone like here it, it's just beach break and all over the place and really it's about who who's, who's sharking around the most and well, who's and also who's who's lucky ball. yeah a lot of the time but that's fine the luck factor is great and that that's just like that's why it's worth it still you but know you still get people here that try to try to like graft that that line up etiquette that you're talking about onto this wave which i just think is kind of crazy because well, it's, there's it's, no peak no it's just peaks all over the place yeah. you can't really i mean obviously there's still a an etiquette in that if someone is up and riding the wave you don't just take off yeah and if you're paddling out and you're in the way then you you know you take a hit on the head rather than pushing for the shoulder yeah that's the you know the two main rules of surfing right uh, everyone should know that and maybe they should put a sign up you know maybe and now maybe that is the role of community and surf clubs and uh, you know that's what i think for example outside the project that paddy and ben are working on is going to be great for because it's going to bring everybody from that surf community in south devon together in a way that isn't a surf life-saving club. It's going to give them a place to meet, watch films, have music, and all get to know each other. So then instantly there's respect and friendship. So you can't, you know, drop in on someone because yeah, you no, don't I know. Think I've, and my, my contention about this whole thing is that it's up to experienced surfers to pass it on. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think, like, they should, like they should know about it if they're going to surf our waves and they're beginners they should know about it and if they don't then it's their own tough shit i just don't think that's helpful not, not a good attitude no. personally i just I, I just think you know you don't teach people to drive by fucking screaming at them when they stall the car no you know you you, you like you say to them okay like or like if somebody go doesn't get priority around about when they're learning because they're so stressed about changing gear and they pull out like when someone's already on the roundabout like that shit just happens yeah you like, have to explain it calmly and, and you, just, kindly. you don't just start shouting at people and like saying right beginner drivers can fuck off like yeah. it's just not what pe what you do like but that's the i mean i'd say you, you could probably just apply that to everything in life you know kindness and um generosity go a really long way rather than ang being angry and and fighty all the time you know yeah that's a kind of good good philosophy for how to live your life in general i think indeed um, one of the things you said earlier, I wanted to ask you about because um, you s when when we were talking about what you do, this is not about localism. <laughs> oh, damn it, I was enjoying that. Uh, no, you you said uh, like I'm a, I finally realised I'm a photographer, or you said huh. you phrased it like that. And one of the things I've often found really um, intriguing and maddening about you is like you know like you, you lack of confidence sometimes in your own ability with with the things that you're good at well, imagine how maddening i find it uh yeah i think it's a it's a it comes hand in hand with being creative you know insecurity is a big part of it but um, we talk about it a lot don't we yeah you know, i think we, we I talk mean, about this kind of battle and it comes up a lot in your podcast the imposter syndrome thing doesn't it um but um the photography thing i just i mean i made a really conscious decision to try and you know i'd been doing a lot of design work and i've been working more and more increasingly as a kind of art director and then i've been kind of working more and more with commissioning or um 
coming up with ideas for photography and then other people doing the work. And I was chained to my desk. So it was just a really conscious decision to get out. And as you say, I've always got ideas. So um, a, a, an old friend of mine called Chris, who, whose surname, I, unfortunately, I can't remember. He's an old friend of Will Whipple's. He was an art director at Getty for years. Right. And uh, he just realized one day that all the photographers were making all the money, but he was giving them all the ideas. Right. So he switched and taught himself photography and did brilliantly from it. And is now a really successful photographer, set up his own image library, sold it back to Getty. And, you know, great, great story, great guy. Um, and, and I guess I had a similar kind of, maybe he inspired me, but I just sort of thought, fuck, you know, I'm, sometimes I'm commissioning photography for something or coming up with ideas for a record sleeve or a whatever it might be, a campaign for something and sending someone else out to do it to realise my vision when actually maybe I'd be better, better off trying to realise it myself. And also, it's, I just like the idea of getting out and being out and about more. I, like I said before, I love working with people. Design can be very inward looking and very solo, which is also really cool if it's balanced out. So I was just trying to balance the the solo stuff with something a bit more engaging and a bit more, I don't know, there's something about photography that's just, I, I've always loved it since I first picked up a camera when I was 14 or something. It, it makes you look at everything. Uh, I mean, I, I, I don't know, I think it makes you take in the world and notice the beauty and everything. You know, like I really do think, I do, you know, I can spend hours just like down at the water's edge taking pictures of the, light reflecting on the water or slow-mo video of it you know that just most people are just walking past it and that that was one thing this year that really saved my you know my my lockdown doom well that's what i was going to ask you was that a conscious because you mentioned that earlier so was that a conscious kind of thing or did you just find yourself doing it i just found myself doing it going out at nice times of day or you know for the first time in my life probably i was in Devon I, even though I've grown up in Devon I've always grown up there and taken it for granted and this time well the reason I was in Devon is because my mum and stepdad were both having some m- medical stuff going on you know health stuff going on and I really wanted to be down there so when this the rumours started happening this time last year of a lockdown and you know this, there was all that mad footage in, of the hospitals in Italy people dying face down Mariko my wife and I um, we had been talking to one of our dearest friends, Lara, and her husband, Martin, and they just have a, it sounds random, they have a spare house that, that Lara's granny used to live in, Mimi, and um, they just said, look, you know, Mimi's house is empty still. They use it for art courses at this place where they oh, live. Oh, that place is amazing. Amazing place called Coombe Farm. They have a, a kind of a, a loads of be- amazing art courses down there normally, which obviously got cancelled, and she just said, come and stay in Mimi's, I'd be a lot happier if you guys were down here than in your flat in London with no outdoor space. Yeah. So for the first time, I found myself for the first time in my life, in my adult life, back in Devon with all my work cancelled. Time. Time on my hands. Yeah. And it was, it was now. It was spring. And when you drive down into Coombe, there's two, there's four cherry, no, there's three cherry trees now. One of them had fallen down. There's three cherry trees that Lara's dad planted 40 years ago when he bought the farm. And they've grown into these beautiful, mature cherry trees. And they're, at the end of March, they're in full blossom. So we drove, we just, we bought this car that I'm sat in now. And the next day we packed everything we could get into the car and drove to Devon for what we thought was, I don't know, three weeks, a month, whatever. We ended up staying there for eight months. 
uh, and we arrived and it was this amazing riot of blossom everywhere it was so beautiful it was sunny spring was coming it was great that and, um, period wasn't it and every day I, to get away from the desk and away from doing the good rays branding and redesign the book for the 11th time <laughs> i would uh, go for a walk with my camera um uh, and i just started to really notice the hedgerows for the first time and everything growing and i don't know like just really noticing the beauty everywhere uh, in in the stinging nettles and the the ferns unrolling you know these little they're almost like little foals legs so they're like these hairy little ferns that unroll in the hedgerows and all the different wildflowers and you know lara's a an amazing curator and she, she she's another she'll one she'll go out and pick you know another one of those people yeah. people people yeah and she'll go out and she's pick wildflowers they grow wildflowers specifically to have them all over the tables and to draw from them so there would always be just flowers everywhere and I don't know I just sort of I was compelled to take pictures of everything so you know I've kind of got this project brewing that I, I don't know whether I'll do anything with it or not but of of the spring and the and the year as it changed over that time we were there maybe i'll talk to lara about doing a i don't know an outdoor exhibition there or something like we did with looking sideways well i ended up in your kitchen i've often wondered if um yeah that's it that is yeah i've got a couple of toes originals at the the gaff (laughs) yeah um i've often wondered if that'd be a good place to do this looking sideways event i've been talking about it would be an amazing place probably would be wouldn't it yeah it's it's so versatile that place it's her dad's an amazing painter and I'm, I've made a well I'm in the process of editing a film about him as well because he's an amazing watercolour painter but he's just a he's a true artist you know tr- through and through he's a sculptor and architect he bo- builds miniature boats he's an incredible draftsman and painter um, so you know I just had this subject and I you know we were staying in Nimi's house and I felt indebted to them in a way they would hate to hear me say that but obviously we felt so grateful so i just thought well you know i've got my cameras and and, and i started filming him painting and and i you know i've made a or i'm in the process of making a film about him which is beautiful his his work's amazing so that's what it's for but you know lara's industrious and martin's creative as a as a kind of carpenter so they're just constantly updating it and making it better at the moment ben uh, Howard and the whole band, Mickey and Wilbot and everyone, all our all our favourite Cornish people are all descending on it to rehearse Ben's new record. Yeah, right. They, they arrived yesterday or something. And I so mean, I, yeah, I think the more I think about it, actually, the more I think that could be like I talked about it on here before. And obviously, we talked about it loads. Like this sort of curate, you know, getting the curator and getting somebody to like program a series of events. Yeah, a bit like the do lectures or something like that. Yeah, well, we use the meltdown as the kind of reference. Meltdown, didn't we? yeah. But it could be could be really good. It'd be a great place. I mean, yeah, because there's a hotel next door. Yeah, and uh, you've got waves nearby, aren't you? Yeah. yeah interesting. Yeah, I'm sure she'd love to. Lara, do if you're listening, then you know, let's have a chat. But yeah, the photography thing though. Obviously, I've seen you work at close quarters. Yeah. And it always cracks me up how much of a state you get yourself in when we've got to do you've got to do the pictures like. Um, yeah i just you know you've always like you've always have to sort of like seemingly talk yourself back up every time is that is that fair i'd say it's probably fair but i'm definitely getting better at it you know i'm definitely i mean fuck i'm like that with the podcast like i still get like exactly at the end of the day it's it's i guess it's just important to do a good job you know i 
I really value um, integrity and quality. You know, I want to I want to do a good job. I never want to do anything badly. I want it to be the best thing I've ever done. And so you put you know a Jamie Thomas or a, a Herbie Fletcher in front of me, David Carson, heard, or David Carson <laughs> in front of me, who I've you know heard of, look, looked up to, read about, whatever it might be. You know, David Carson was the first graphic design book I bought. Um, I think we were both a bit nervous that day. Yeah. But, you know, so especially obviously he, that... Especially when he refused to uh, hold the mic. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm not holding that. Only person ever that said no to that. <laughs> you were like, oh, yeah, we'll sort this out. I was totally... I thought he's joking. What did I do? Put it in a glass or something? You went and got a pint glass and put yeah. it in there, yeah. But, yeah, you know, it's obviously that adds, a, adds quite, a layer of drama to it, I suppose. Quite emblematic of the, the, the podcast approach, that actually, isn't it? It's quite funny. Yeah, DIY. I love a bit of DIY, you know? That's why I love being creative. And and that's why I still do it, even though I'm scared or I'm worried about it, I'm nervous. Every time I do it, I'm a little bit less nervous. And, you know, there's it's such a great thing to make something, to create something and to bother. You know, like, like you know, you're talking about ideas. I do have a lot of ideas. You have a lot of ideas. I'd say a lot of people, everyone has ideas, especially creative people. If you're a true creative, I think you can turn your ideas to many things. You know, like I've got an idea for a film or a, uh, or a, a photo book or a, a, a whatever it might be you can tr- turn your creative mind to whatever is put in front of you but I do think there's something to be said for saying yes and figuring it out on the day and getting out of your comfort zone yeah it's those restrictions that we talked about earlier yeah and also chan- you know I do say yes to things I'm not prepared to do right I, I've noticed that and and uh I guess I'm, I must be a little bit of me that quite likes the buzz of it, even though I shit myself beforehand. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the things we talk about quite a lot is how, you know, there's a battle if you're creative, like part of the part of being a successful creative person is selling yourself like, yeah. like, the, you know, and the kind of relationship between commerce and creativity is something that we talk about quite frequently. Yeah. And, you know, I harp on about this quite a lot through the podcast. Like, always, you know, if there was going to be a looking sideways bingo card, I think, <laughs> like, hey, I don't do ads would definitely be one of the squares. <laughs> yeah. um, but you know what I mean? Like, that that's where that's coming from, though, for me. You know, like, I have I have my own version of, like, creative integrity. You definitely have your your own version of creative integrity. And I wonder, I sometimes think, like, we can be our own worst enemies by not yielding at point i mean certainly if you take that example i'm talking about with the adverts like i mean i've turned down a lot of money at like whatever like i'm not saying that as like fucking who cares but you know what i mean like if i was more prepared to do that then that's directly affected my bank balance yeah um and you know i guess what i'm talking about is like knowing how to play that correctly in a way that I don't think we're that good at. No, I absolutely agree. I, I, I um, and we talk. About I don't that. think there is correctly that. I think it's different for every person, and I think it depends on what you, where you place the value. And for me, the value is in the creativity and the ownership and the and the collaboration and the the joy of making things more than the financial benefit. The reward is f- the reward for me is the creativity. And also the kind of um, not being beholden to the sponsor or the employer. You know, I've, I've uh, 
spent what 25 years working as a creative person in various hats and uh, and I've never had you know money in the bank particularly but I've I've enjoyed it and I've done some really fun stuff and uh, I'd much rather enjoy my day to day and be excited for the work than be banking some money for a you know hospital bills in the future or something I don't know I just sort of I've I've, I've made that I've come to terms with that I'm yeah. I'm happy being a, I'm much happier being a skint creative I think than a miserable rich person I don't know but I mean doesn't doesn't Not need doesn't, doesn't need to be either or though does it no exactly yeah no but I mean that's just where I find myself um, do you do you ever feel like you could there's a, there's a bit of you could maybe yield a bit yeah I definitely think I could um, I definitely think I could charge more for my time and I could say no to more stuff because I do say yes to most things mainly because I want to do them you know like I, I and and you know I, 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 I as I know you are I really believe in helping your friends and supporting your friends in their creative ways and in your in the way you can so I quite often do things for people for nothing or for very little because I really want to you know I, I really want to support that um that creativity and and see that happen like you know that's why you know even if I'm really busy and you need a zoom portrait doing which which by the way has been another highlight of my year yeah um, well I think I, I actually I think there's yes. I actually think there's another at least zine in that personally yeah I think you're right especially <laughs> I mean Ed's one is really funny it yeah. was a pleasure to right well it's a pleasure for the for the episode 150a as well but yeah. you know on the on the value integrity thing though you know a lot of it is just knowing is being really clearly defined isn't it about what your value is yeah i i almost think i mean i've definitely got a lot better at that i just listened to this really interesting podcast about new order and joy division which I kind of thought I was going to hate because I do find that whole Mancunian nostalgia, the fa- the factory records and Hacienda thing a bit cringe sometimes, you know, like there's, there's, there's definitely like a nostalgia industry around that. But this is brilliant, this yeah. documentary. And um, it's also kind of what gave me the idea for doing some long form documentaries that I've been talking to you about, yeah. like some long form podcast documentaries around certain like events in action sports which is another idea we've been sort of mildly like telling the stories well yeah you know like because obviously if you look at podcasting there's there's what i do which is like the kind of quite linear interview thing but there's definitely like quite a lot of sophisticated documentary storytelling taking place in i don't know if this one's been particularly linear <laughs> <laughs> no but you know what i mean like the kind of like hey here i am with so and so we're gonna have a conversation well that was that like it's quite you know, sure yeah whereas you know there there is now a lot of multi-layered sophisticated documentary storytelling going on in podcasting yeah slight digression anyway that that new order joy division thing gave me the idea for that but one of the things that's really really funny in that documentary is they talk about you know we did the record and pete you know we spoke to peter savile about the album yeah. cover and uh and they're all wow, like what an album cover and they're always like tell you what about peter he's fucking expensive you know <laughs> and then but and every story is basically like they go to his studio and they say what are you into and he gets a photography book out and he goes like i like this one yeah, yeah. and they go like cool can we have that for the album cover and he's like 
yeah, yeah, it's going to take a few months and it's going to be like fucking X thousand. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, play to him. And yeah. I was like, yeah, because like he's, because he, isn't he the one that did the, the triangle, Peter Saville? You can, it can either be quick. Uh, well, did he? The quick, fast, good. Quick, fast, good triangle. That you is have, my favourite triangle. You can have two. Yeah, choose two. Yeah. It can, you know, like quick, fast, good, choose two of them. You can't have all three. Yeah. Um, well, no, is it? No, it's not quick. It's quick, cheap, good. Yeah, quick, cheap, good. Yeah, you can't have all three, but you can have two of them. Yeah. Because um, quick and fast are the same thing. Yeah, and it's it's um, it's an argument for pain correctly for art, isn't it? Essentially. Yeah. And it's true. Like you know, if you want it free, if I love the if I love the idea enough, that's cool. I'll do it. But you can't hassle me to get it in time. Yeah, I mean, you know, because I've got other shit that needs to pay the bills. You know, we were just talking about some people we know in our industry, naming no names, who you know are becoming fairly notorious for wanting shit cheap. Yeah, and like you know, who who run outwardly like a seemingly very very successful business, who are out there like hustling for work and doing stuff, and then every story I ever hear from friends that are dealing with them is like they don't want to pay. Yeah, you know, like, and I'm always like, how fucking retro is that? Just pay the fucking money. Yeah, do you know what I mean? And if you can't afford to pay the money, then don't put your fucking event on. Yeah, because you're taking the piss. Yeah, you try to do your event based upon other people's work and experience that you don't want to pay for but you want all the money like it's just short-sighted i think you know at the end of the day is a integrity it's very hard to claw it back once you lost it and um i don't know well it comes down to that thing doesn't it if everybody because because why why i find that approach like particularly kind of risable is because you especially now you kind of you're preying on people's willingness to work for cheap yeah you're putting people in a position where they're like oh well you know i've not got much work coming in so i'll just do it for cheap because you know like but they you know at the end of the day what the money that they want to make isn't reduced yeah i just i mean i generally only work for free for friends who are starting out do you know what i mean apart from me then apart from you <laughs> yeah, but yours is you're essentially a non-profit <laughs> <laughs> true um you know johnny on the winch look at that just went flying killing past. it that was rad. This is well funny. I should have brought my wetsuit. Could be. That'd be high pressure, though. Be, be <laughs> worth worse than the wave. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't been there yet, actually. I really want to go. Fucking hell. That message that I got from that guy at Kelly Slater Wave Pool the other day. What was, do you mean? Did I not send you that? No. It's like a message from uh, one of the guys Oh, you did send me the guy that And he's like, hey, I love it. the podcast. Yes. Greetings from Kelly Slater Wave Pool. Like, we're, we all really like it. Yes, please. And I was like, fucking hell. I actually listened to the, the Matt Warshaw one was interesting and his take on wave pools he doesn't like them does he one bit no and, and again you know it comes back down to that thing we were chatting about the, the tech thing isn't it yeah. and he's very quite he's quite comfortable Matt in saying like yeah you know for me surfing's this thing and that ain't it yeah well, I, I think surfing it is something else surfing in the ocean or in the sea is very different I've never having never done it in a wave pool I'm completely unqualified to say that but you know the adventure and the the driving and the travel are a huge part of you know my fondest memories of most surf trips are the camaraderie and the travel parts you know obviously the waves when you get good waves but you can still have a great trip when you get skunk for waves yeah um, and that kind of proves that it's about more than just the actual surfing, especially if you're an average surfer like I am. You know, like that Lahinch trip we did, we didn't exactly get great waves. We got we? terrible waves. Yeah, but we had a brilliant time. You know, so yeah, and, and you know, I don't know. Strand Hill was 
we got good ways. Fuck, I can't wait to go back to Ireland, actually. Yeah, well, I'm really missing Ireland. My little brother over there, Oisin. Yeah, I think that's probably going to be one of the the and first ones to book, really. Did you watch Tom Gillespie's yeah, little, that, little yeah, head that cam? Yeah, that you sent me. That is amazing, isn't it? I yeah, mean, it was great. Talk about, I mean, there you go. And feed that into the the sort of spot. I mean, everyone knows about the cliffs, but that still. would have, that would have definitely got on the wrong side of. I would have uh, thought if you like, once Magic Seaweed reposted it and everyone else. Yeah, might, that would I wonder if he got a bit of heat for that. The, the Instagram police definitely wouldn't like that. It made me grin from ear to ear watching that. Yeah, I'd yeah. paddle out there and didn't catch a wave. I was sh- shit myself completely. Yeah, tell us about that because that was when you were over there with. Um, I was over with, with Ben and Mickey, right? Ben and Mick and Owen Davies. We all paddled out. And they and they did they basically make you paddle out? They made us. So we went to watch them surf and we got there and Mitch and Matt Smith had put boards out for us and they were like, come on, we're going to make you paddle out. <laughs> so, yeah, so we did. I mean, I paddled out on a, I don't know, like a 7.6 gun, mini gun shortboard thing. I don't even know what it is. It felt like a longboard. <laughs> right. You know, it couldn't hardly get my arm around it. Midland. Midland, no, it was like a big <laughs> no, wave joking, board. Yeah, it wasn't a mini map. Yeah, but it was. It's something I was very unfamiliar with. Not being a surfer that surfs waves like that ever. Right. And it was as small as those that place gets. I think you know, like six to eight foot, perhaps. I don't know. It doesn't really break small that place. It takes us a, a size. Oh, this on a foamy. Sorry, to, sorry to interrupt, but this is a collision of cultures right here because this guy wants to go fishing, doesn't he? Well, he's chosen the wrong groin to fish. And now today. he's like, what? Like, they're they've got a winch move along grandpa like he's like proper fucked off nah he's all right there's a million other spots <laughs> right so so and so you, did you get any waves no i didn't get any waves the thing about that place is that when it's that small as in still bigger than my comfort zone the waves have you seen it when it does that thing did you see the tom Lowe wave that went viral where he caught like basically a two foot bit of white water on a boil yeah. and then it turns into like an eight foot wave and yeah. gets this tube so when it's bigger you get this kind of funny outside boil rolling thing I mean, I, don't, I mean this is me talking of someone who doesn't know how to surf there but that's my impression of it is, is when it's a bit bigger you get this kind of some of the waves give you this rolling off an outside boil right. so you get this kind of mellower takeoff. but when it's smaller it just kind of hits the ledge and goes uh, you know I live in South London I surf uh. rarely yeah so I'm unfit. You, to paddle into waves like that, you have to be quick to your feet and your timing has to be perfect, you know. Yeah, which takes it takes anyone a few days to get up to surf. Take me a couple of months to get to, to that get up fitness. to optimum surf thought as well, isn't it? A few days is definitely. A no, you know what I mean, optimistic. though. Like when, when, no, I mean like when you it takes you that time to like for your your brain and mind to like catch up with each other. Yeah, you know. So we paddle out, and you know, you see Fer- Ferg was out on a single fin sort of taking off side slipping down the face and cruising ch- amazingly chewed off his off his you know brains uh, and so we pal out thinking oh, this looks fun looked really fun um and then and then i was like right okay i either take the set the bigger sets and they're all mitchin and i've never felt a happier more positive wonderful feeling in the water than i do in ireland with those guys you're in serious waves with really good surfers but they are so happy to have you there yeah and they were toza your wave go 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 you know. <laughs> i just couldn't catch one without being caught up in the lip and pitched you know like right. i just couldn't get under the lip enough to actually get down the face so i kind of pulled out of a couple just thinking fuck this you know really it really you makes your bum hold to it and you just, <laughs> oh, yeah. ben got one and went 
over the falls, no, he nosedived halfway down it, nearly killed Matt Smith, got dragged underwater. We saw the f- video footage afterwards. He must have gone like a foot length of a football pitch underwater. <laughs> really? And, I, and he came back out, you know, like pink in the face. And I was just like, fuck this, I'm not getting one. And I knew I wasn't going to get one after I saw him get... No, right. Because Ben's a much better surfer than me. Yeah, he's me. a good surfer, but isn't he? Um, and, he's, and he's much fitter than me and younger than me, more resilient, you know. So I was just like, well, fuck this, I'm not going to do this. Um, and I know that Owen Davies had got caught inside on a previous session and got absolutely smoked. He'd sat a bit far inside. And also Owen's like a really, really good surfer as Owen's well. Owen's amazing. Yeah. So stylish surfer, yeah. He's a fucking rad surfer, isn't he? Well, he's from surf royalty, isn't he? Yeah. The, the Davies are all amazing surfers. All goofy foot. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so I, but I just enjoyed sitting out there. You're underneath the cliffs of Moa looking at those big stacks of rock you know all that stuff that's in mickey's film those points of view you know watching ferg take off from the shoulder and just get you know me on the shoulder and him just get the beautiful emerald green tubes it's, it's amazing just to be out there well, yeah I felt, I felt privileged just being out there it was so beautiful i've had some great times out there mickey took me for a, a cruise on the jet ski ben and i for a cruise on the jet ski um under the cliffs one flat day and we went into a, backed into a cave and the jet ski into the pitch black and it's you can hear it all breathing in there because the water's going up and down it's amazing that coastline yeah i can't actually can't wait to go back it's funny it's the one place i'm particularly keen to get back to which yeah. is surprising really because i don't um, think that's surprising at all but yeah, just for me because it's not like i know it that well or i've been there that many times or i'd really like to take you up to the bundoran area actually i think you'd really love it up there I've been to Bundoran once, years and years and years ago, probably like 16, 17 years ago. Yeah. So, yeah, I'd love to go back. Well, we should do it, man. Like, have you found the lack of travel? Because I think it's been, you know, you're in danger of getting out the world's tiniest violin at this stage. Uh, I actually am. I've been completely fine with it. I've, I've had plenty to do. And I just think, you know, fine. There's shit going down. Me wanting to go on holiday doesn't fucking help. So i'll get over it i've traveled a lot i, I love traveling i will travel again but I, i'm really happy to stay home on, or stay in you know in england or go to cornwall or go to scotland you know ireland if i can wales so all so beautiful i've I've hardly been to anywhere on our, our little island yeah really. i know i know i keep i keep chatting to friends up in the hebrides and yeah saying that i mean it's I mean, i've never been to the northeast either Oh my God, the waves are so good. I said that to Gabe the other day and he was like, wow, all right, got us all out. Yeah, we should go and see the Davies boys. Yeah. It'd be great fun. Yeah. Go and do a northeast omnibus. Well, I mean, we could do, couldn't we? Do the do the Davies triple. Yeah. Gabe will come on again. Owen keeps saying no. Owen, Owen, Owen would be so brilliant on this. He's. I think Owen and Ben are the people that have turned me down the most, actually. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, you know, apart from me, perhaps... <laughs> but it, I, I completely understand not wanting to do it mm. how's it been it's been brilliant I've really enjoyed it yeah you know I just think some people don't really want to talk about themselves that much yeah of course no I get it I totally get it yeah I mean it I've talked about it before it's one of the, it's definitely one of the more um, not frustrating that's the wrong word but it's definitely yeah like you know booking guests and it's tough yeah I've watched you I've watched you know well California was pretty interesting wasn't it we nearly 
we knew they were going to go and see Ryan Birch for a bit and then we didn't and you know yeah. people on and off and there was a lot Dane Reynolds maybe maybe not and, mm. yeah know. that looked like it was going to happen for a while didn't it, and then it didn't maybe happen. it will in the future but I think um, Alex Mall was originally slated and then that didn't happen yeah I just think um, having I mean obviously you've been on a few podcasts so but from my point of view I completely understand why people don't want to do it yeah I, I, um, I get it but as well it's not as guys it's not as bad as you think <laughs> <laughs> and also I'd love to hear Owen tell his stories because he's got so many great stories and so's Ben and I they're mean, brilliant brilliant that, tales that story is is like pretty ripe for the telling isn't it that yeah one. yeah maybe maybe I'll ask him to do a, a double I'll ask him to as well but I'm, I, I no, wouldn't be surprised no. if you say no they'll say no who did I ask who's on the list at the minute that keeps Stacey Peralta tried Stacey Peralta would be epic yeah don't even think I got through the firewall Jerry right? Lopez would be epic yeah um, but I think Stacey's making a film about Jerry Lopez isn't yeah he is he is yeah um, but yeah you know still it's funny though, still getting people come back every now and again who like Kepa Kepa Cero. yeah great yeah he's a legend yeah I'm pretty I'm doing that next week actually quite excited about that I would love to. I mean, I, I've never been to Hawaii. I really think we should and, try and do I, a Hawaiian on the bus. I wondered how long you were going <laughs> to drop that one in. See, I'm a bit like, yeah, don't know, don't know about that. Nah, I'm joking. Of course, I'd love to. Yeah, we should try and do it. I mean, that's that was going to be my other question, really. Like, um, where next for, for the <laughs> for the omnibuses? I mean, Hawaii is obviously top of the list, isn't it? And Australia would be great. I know you've been and done one in Australia, but I'd love I, to go back. without me. <laughs> Uh, I'd love to go to New Zealand. Ed would love to have us in New Zealand. Yeah. And would be a great facilitator, I think. Um, but, I mean, I'm sort of focusing on surfing places, really. I'm sure they're, 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 you know, New York would be pretty cool. New York would be great. Jackson. Jackson would be amazing. We should try and definitely try and go to uh, Natural Selection next year. Brazil. Brazil would be, be great. Sick. Yeah. Loads of stuckered, <laughs> stuckered <laughs> surfers talking about it. Yeah. That'd be cool. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, there it goes again. I think Hawaii is definitely top of the list just because the amount of people to talk to there and amazing stories. Because you know, you, there are many, many other great places, but they're all so concentrated there. You know, the North Shore. Yeah, they're just all just next to each other. Well, it's, spots, a, it's a great combo, isn't it, of like history and legends like and new blood, cutting and, edge. You know, yeah. yeah. That'd be great, but Northern California as well. Love to go. Love to go back and do go to San Francisco properly. It would be cool to do the drive from like Seattle down the full West Coast. You know, Port- Portland again. Portland down that way. Yeah, yeah, all the way down to San Diego. Yeah, that'd be great. I think Joel Tudor would be great to get on. Joel Tudor would be great. He's uh, he's not very opinionated. Yeah, he's got some good opinions, <laughs> and, and, and I just I'll ask just Joel about the etiquette question. Yeah, exactly. He see, has something to say. See what he thinks he about, our place. about being uh, nice to Vals. Sure and Strider that. would be a great person to get on, I think, as well. Strider would be great. He's well, that, just made of stories, isn't he? He's yeah. like, wherever he goes, he just has an unbelievable event happen. Yeah. See that thing the other day where they dug some guy out of a snow hole at the side of a piece? I did see that. It's fucking crazy. Yeah. Just went on a snowboarding holiday and ended up saving someone's life. Yeah. Yeah, he's one of them, isn't he? Like you say, shit just happens to him. Yeah. Basically. Well, thanks, man. It's been a pleasure, Matt. Thanks, thanks for having me. Thanks for doing it. And uh, yeah, what a treat to see you. Should we watch, yeah. should we watch a bit more winching? Yeah. I, do you know what? I'm going I'm to suggest a little walk along the beach just yeah. to kind of stretch the legs. Let's do it. 
So there you go. That was me and Owen Tozer, and I hope you enjoyed it. That was one of those occasions where I didn't quite realise how much seeing one of my oldest friends and having a glimpse, albeit through adjacent car windows, of a previous life would improve my mood. Always loved my conversations with Owen. That was a great one, especially enjoyed his description of looking sideways as a non-profit, which I suppose it kind of has been really since the start. Anyway, big thanks to Owen for doing it, the episode that is, and for all his support over the years. As mentioned, to see what he's up to right now, head on over to his Instagram at Owen Made Up or check out Good Rays over at www.goodrays.com for more on that project. Okay, housekeeping corner time. I'm going to quote from an email from a listener actually who said, enjoying housekeeping corner or dickhead free zone as the real diehards are calling it. I don't actually think anyone else is calling that, but it was quite funny. You never know, once the book is out, we might well get round to that range of housekeeping corner merch that people have been asking for. Anyway, as you might have noticed, we finished the book. All going well, it should be available for pre-order at about the time this gets released. Now, as you might have gathered, we are very proud and excited about this. I know it took fucking months to the point that I was getting piss-taking emails from listeners saying, yeah, this book, mate, are you going to release it or what? But it is done. And if you want to support the book, and I really hope that you do, because as you might have gathered, we've got absolutely no idea how many copies to print. So pre-orders will be very, very helpful when it comes to that. If you want to do that, you're going to have two options. Important this, so maybe have a listen. Option one, you can follow me on Vero, the social media platform, navigate to my profile and find the product post on there when it goes live, which should, I mean, it hopefully will be live when you listen to this. On there, you're going to see a great big buy now button and you can order there. Shipping from that point should take about four weeks, all going well. We're shipping globally to the EU and to the UK, obviously. As mentioned, I'm very, very grateful to Vero for all the support with this project. So if you're on that platform, I'll see you there. That's option one. Option two, to buy the book, pre-order, support, etc. You can wait until the book goes live for general release, i.e. not through Vero, on my website, www.wearelookingsideways.com. So head over there, and once we're live, you're going to find a book page with another buy now option. And from there, shipping will probably be two to four weeks. Now, as mentioned, pre-orders and general support of this idea will give us a good indication of how many copies to eventually print, which is important, right? Once this this bit is live, it's also going to go live on Instagram and Facebook shopping too, which seems to be something people are buying from more and more at the minute. As mentioned during our conversation, we're not going to be sharing it, selling it, sorry, via Amazon or anywhere like that. Although I might donate a few copies to local shops who are into it. If you run a store and you might want to stock the book, then yeah, give me a shout. Podcast at wearelookingsideways.com. So there we go. Episode 150. The book's done. What am I going to do with my time? Good job I've got a shitload of other ideas to work on after this. Anyway, what a long and strange trip it's been, if you'll forgive me for getting a little bit reflective. This whole looking sideways business. I continue to be amazed and humbled by how much it's grown and progressed since I came up with the idea at the beginning of January 2017. I remember 
telling Ed about it. It was quite interesting in episode 100, I listened to Ed admit what his reaction was when I told him I was going to start this podcast, which was, by the sounds of it, complete scepticism. Um, so yeah, I mean, beyond my wildest imaginings, how well it's gone and how much the global community has grown, I am very, very grateful to everyone who's supported the show over the years. I'm going to specifically thank a few people. I, I, I realise this is getting into like Oscar speech territory for me. But it's important, you know, because uh, some people have really gone out of the way to support this. I'm particularly thinking of everybody at Patagonia Europe, for example, for that incredible championing of the podcast and amazing support and freedom. Now, I've been working with brands my entire career and I know how rare it is to be granted the amount of freedom I've been given with Type 2 by Patagonia. So I want to thank my friends Alex, Yella, Ryan, Roos, Matt, Louise, Hannah and Chris who's no longer there, but has been a huge help over the years for their tireless support and cheerleading Gabe too. Gabe's been amazing. Thank you, Gabe. By the same token, the team at Vero have been brilliant. So thank you, John, Antoine, Eamon and John Beasley for the support there. I also want to say a big thanks to everybody at Black Diamond and Visit California, particularly Emma Westman and Gail Hawking, without whom that trip and hence the subsequent book would never have happened. You know, and also the guests who've come on the show over the years shared their story so openly. And even everyone who turned me down learned a lot from that, as annoying as that could be at points. And then the biggest thanks of all to the listeners. Yes, even those slackers who've already turned off and aren't here for Housekeeping Corner. Now, for once, rather than say, thank fuck they've gone, I'm going to say, thank fuck you all tuned in in the first place. I think the most I've enjoyed, the thing I've most enjoyed about this whole podcast experience is the community that's uh, grown around the whole thing. And a recent message I got from a listener, Nancy, made this point really eloquently from a recent note. Dear Matt, I've been listening to your podcast since the beginning. It's provided me with knowledge, inspiration and a real sense of community. Hearing your voice now sounds like listening to an old friend. How amazing is that? Thanks for that. And thanks for everybody, to everybody for um, you know sending me messages, listening, buying merch, buying me coffee, contacting me and generally encouraging me to keep the thing going. It is hugely appreciated. So nice one. And yeah, buy the book, eh? All right, that's it for now. For more updates on everything, including the book, you're getting bored yet? Find me at We Look Sideways on Instagram. Follow me on Vero. I think I'm just looking sideways podcast on that because I was in early. Sign up to the newsletter at www.wearelookingsideways.com and I'll be back next week. Nice one.